Um, as, as Joel mentioned, uh, my name's Eli, and uh, I'm going to be bringing you guys the message today. I had uh, this week, you know, obviously it was a really interesting week uh, with, with the crazy temperatures, and I, honestly, I actually got to have a lot of fun this week because uh, the, the kids didn't have school, the teens didn't have school for four days. They got four days off, and so that means that, you know, we got to go to the Y in the middle of the day and shoot some hoops. And, uh, but you know, uh, Jared and Renee, they talked about approaching God with humility, so I better just not go into details about what happened. But uh, we are, guys, so we are doing a series on knowing God, and we're going through the Old Testament. And the last two Sundays, Joel and Grayson, they've introduced us to this topic, okay, and how it's the most important thing that we can do with our lives here on earth. And so now today what we're going to be doing is actually getting into the text, into the Old Testament. We're going to be starting off in Genesis. Uh, we're going to be going through chapters 1 through 4, and we're going to be uh, reading just a few verses from each chapter, and we're specifically going to be tracing this theme of the image of God being made in his image. Um, so point number one is that we are created in his image. Okay, I believe that if we can fully grasp what it means to be made in the image of God, that God can change our hearts, and that he can use us to change the world. So open your Bibles to the first page, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You know, this is incredible when we just, when we just step back and think about this, that God with a word, he just said, let there be light. He spoke it into the darkness, and there was light. And then God went on. He, after that, after he made light, he made darkness. He made the stars. He made the plants, the animals. And then everything culminates in the creation of man. So let's skip to 26 and 27. Guys, we're here at church today to worship the living God who did these things with the power of his voice. We're not, we're not here to fulfill a religious obligation or to, for our consciences to feel a little bit better about our, you know, our fire insurance, where we're going to go when we die. We're here to worship the living God, and we're here to hear his word. So let's do that this morning. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now we're going to be exploring this, this concept a little bit today about being made in the image of God. We were made in God's image. Okay, what does that mean? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing that it means, okay? One thing that's unique about it is that mankind is made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation 
is made in the image of God. Not even angels, right? You have something that even the angels don't have. And I think one of the practicals of knowing and, and understanding the image of God and what it means is to have, to have some self-regard, some self-respect. What, what I mean by that is you're made in the image of God, so self-hatred, uh, hurting yourself, thinking about suicide or doing those sorts of things is not having respect for the truth that God made us in the image of God. And for those of you who are on the opposite side of the spectrum who maybe uh, puff yourselves up a little bit too much, that's, that's not your struggle, God it made everybody else in the same image of God that he made you in, okay? So, and I know, it, you know, when we try to grasp this concept, it's like, I mean, I'm made in the image of God? Like, how can that be? Like, I'm broken, and I'm messed up, and I just, I don't have this power that God has. You know, God just creates things. Like, you know, I, I can't even create a schedule. Like, and it, what about the problem of suffering? You know, it's almost like this utopian ideal that every human's made in the image of God. So why is, why don't I see God then? You know, when I look in the, when I watch the news, when I look into the world, why don't I see God as much as I, as I would think if this is true? So uh, we're, I'm going to break it down a little bit. Why have an image, right? God has an, his image. And in the simplest way to put it, there's like a lot of ways you could put this, but I was trying to boil it down. It's to image something. That's why we have images. Okay, so I'm going to show you guys uh, a few images up on the screen. Okay, and the reason, another reason we use images is because an image says a thousand words, right? When we take a photograph, we're trying to capture something. You know, we're trying to capture what you can't see in the photograph. Okay, so here's here's what I mean. Okay, so this, right, this is, this is a beautiful mountain and a lake. Hopefully you can see that okay. Guys, that water is crystal clear. You can see the bottom of this lake. And it's, the water is like glass, just calm. And so where this, is, where this picture is at, this is Fairy Lake in the mountains of Montana. And so this is cool and everything, right? But the reason I'm showing this is because this picture actually, you know, this means something to me. And you, and you can't see that just by looking at it. Me and Ian's son, we went to uh, Montana last summer, and we camped here. We got to camp here, and it was, it was amazing. And I still remember the quiet time that I had here. And I, I remember the peace that I felt just, just being in nature, being with God. And you, you can't see that when you look at it, right? So here's another picture of that same trip. We, we also drove to Wyoming, and we're standing uh, in front of what's called Devil's Tower. Okay, so that rock that's behind us that's just protruding out of the earth is a little over 500 feet tall. And scientists say that basically what they believe is it's basically like this, like if, uh, there used to be a huge volcano there. And over like, you know, how many ever millions of years it's eroded, and this is the, what's left, is just the core. And it, the rock is so dense. Like, it just, time just can't get rid of it, and it's there. Okay, and there's people climbing that thing. It was, it was crazy. There. And, um, and so we didn't take this picture to say, hey, look, look how cool we are, right? Like, let's take a picture of ourselves. We're like, no, look how cool this creation is. And then, 
and just to remember this trip that we had a great trip. Uh, we, we got to see um, Anton's sister and her fiance. We just had a great time with them. We really, we really got to enjoy um, this trip. So that's that's what the picture really means, and, and you just you can't see that just by looking at it. Okay, let's now we're going to look at a few other images. Okay, and. We're going to look at, so kind of a popular thing nowadays is branding. Everybody's got to have their own brand, okay? I mean, like every athlete now has their own brand and uh, social media, you know, all that stuff. So we're going to look at a few branding images, okay? You guys recognize that? All right. What, what do you think of when you see that, that, that apple? Like, what is that? It's just an apple, right? No, it's, it's a product line. It's well, I learned this morning it's one of the top three most valuable companies in the entire world. <laughs> and, you know, Apple puts their logo on the things that they create because they want you to know that they made it. And they also, they, they want their products to be separate and stand apart from other people's, from other companies. So they want to say, this is Apple, and it's better than what you've got. Okay? Let's look at another. What do you guys think of when you see this? Anybody know? It's, a, it's Dodge. It's the emblem for Dodge. Trucks, man. We drive trucks. We're in Wisconsin. So it, it represents something. Okay, now, all right, so we're going to keep going. We're going to keep rolling here. This picture here, everybody, everybody's going to know this one. So, guys, what we have here is a rich... Tradition of unmet expectations and disappointment. Yeah. Even if even if you don't watch football, okay, at least, especially if you go to this church, you know what this is, because it gets it gets airtime every Sunday. So here here here's for the here's for the, like the one quarter of the congregation, right there. All right, the G, right? What's that stand for? That's it's just a G. <laughs> oh no. Green Bay Packers, the Vince Lombardi, the Lombardi Trophy, winning, tradition. Okay, and it's about time we had a little airtime for the Detroit Lions. Let's go. Okay, let me just let me just say this. All right, it's hard to, to you know to promote the Detroit Lions with a straight face up here, but um, all I can say is that. I think Detroit Lions fans, we're, we're probably more spiritual than most other fans because <laughs> the long-suffering, the perseverance. Oh, it's been a long road. It's been a long road. So this next image that I'm about to show you guys is going to be different from all the other ones. Okay, and, and you'll, I, I can't exactly just tell you why, but you'll know it when you see it. That's, that's Rowan. Last weekend, uh, me and Ian were at the cabin, or at, we're at uh, her aunt's cabin with the Rizzos, and little Roro, as we like to call him, uh, he, he, he loves to play hide and seek. And uh, he would always count to eight, I don't know why, but he count to eight, and he always skip number four. <laughs> One, two, three, five, six, seven. <laughs> And then about half the time, you'd go hide, and then he would, after he counted to eight, he'd forget that he was looking for you. <laughs> but it's different. 
right? It's, so we saw a picture of a mountain, right? And that's God's creation. And this is also God's creation. But it's different. It's because it has, Rowan has the image of God. Um, so every, every human being, every one of you, has the image of God. That means something. <laughs> Except for redheads. Scientifically proven, doctrinally correct fact. Redheads do not bear the image. That's a joke. Okay, so what is this thing, that, 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 that picture of Rowan that just, I mean, it melted my heart. What, what, how, what, how can we pinpoint what the image of God is? Well, let's try to break it down. Is it? The physical appearance, because God many times in Scripture appears as a man, especially, namely, in the form of Jesus Christ, right? But we also see in Scripture that God appears as something else, like, for example, in the book of Exodus, a thick, dark cloud, right? So it can't, it's that, that might, there might be some truth to that, like, there is some physical resemblance between mankind and God, but that's not, it's not, that's not what it is. Right? We can just tell it. That's not what it is. That can't be it. Okay? So then, the, uh, the fact that mankind, we have this, we have a rationality and an intellect and, a, and a, the ability to reason so far beyond anything else in all of creation. And God, we do share this characteristic with God. God is intelligent and reasonable and has emotions. Right? And, and we share these things with God. And so I think, I think there's some truth here as well, but then it kind of falls apart just a little bit when you realize that Satan also has all of these qualities, reason, logic, desire. So what is it? And through, through much study, uh, commentaries, uh, many scholars, many PhDs in the Bible would affirm me on this, that it has to do with our call and our purpose. Something you can't quite see, and you can't quite put your finger on it. Our call and our purpose. Uh, read Romans uh, 8, 28 and 29 with me. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Church, if you've been looking for your life purpose this morning, you, you don't need to look any further than this verse right here. It says that for those that he foreknew, he wanted them to be conformed to the image of his son, the purpose for God's chosen people, for Christians, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now I want to ask you how is that your life purpose? Like, how, how is that going in your life? Because sometimes I'm kinda, I kind of want the purpose of my life to be like, I just want things to go well and me to be happy and be successful. I mean, that's kind of why I'm living sometimes. How's it going becoming like Jesus? How focused are we on the purpose 
of having the image of God. And it's tough, okay, guys? It's tough to bear the image of God, to be like Jesus. And there's a reason why, and we're going to get into that. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Point number two is the image stains. The image is stains. Okay, Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I'm naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave uh, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. So ma many of you are familiar with the story of the fall. When Abney, the first time some, a human being disobeys the will of God. And what happened here, they, they fell for the deception of the serpent. Right? The serpent deceived them. And because the serpent wants us, the Satan, he wants us to do what's contrary to God. He wants us to bear a different image than the image of God. He wants us to bear the image of him, of Satan. Okay? So I'm going to share with you guys, uh, we're, we're going to read an excerpt here from the Satanic Bible. Okay? It is a thing. It's, it's a book. It, uh, hopefully you haven't been studying it in your quiet times. Okay, what it is, is it, it was published in 1969 by Anton LaVey, and it's basically the central religious text for LaVeyian Satanism. Okay, and it's, uh, it's described as the most important document to influence contemporary Satanism. Okay, and so the reason we're going we're gonna to look at this briefly is, how do you guys think Satan wants us to worship him? Okay, does he want us to get together on a Sunday morning, and sing songs and listen to a message. No, not really. Okay, the, think about it like this. So there's ten, the Ten Commandments, right, in the Bible. They're, they're they're elevated. They're holy. And the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, the first there's nine creeds of the Satanic Bible, and the first one is this: Satan represents indulgence. Instead of abstinence. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. Have you ever, you ever heard of that philosophy before? Like, you know, you got to do you. You got to treat yourself. 
you gotta, you know, you only live once, so you might as well indulge. Right? Huh. You know, I, th I thought you had to be like, you know, a serial killer or something to worship Satan. Okay? An another one. I'm just sharing a couple. Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. So Satan actually promotes kindness. Did you know that? But only to those who deserve it. Huh. Geez, you know, that's kind of ringing a bell when I look at the world around me. Huh. You can do a favor for me? Oh, okay. I'll be nice to you. Scratch your back. You can scratch mine, too. You know, worshiping Satan might be a lot easier than we thought. Another one, last one. Satan represents man as just another animal, sometimes better, but more often worse than those who, that walk on all fours, who because of his divine, spiritual, and intellectual development has become the most vicious animal of all. And sadly, there's a lot of truth. Because, because of our intellectual, spiritual, divine gifts, we know how to hurt each other. We know what hurts us, and so we know how to hurt each other. We know how to manipulate one another. And, you know, we don't like to think of life in terms of worship. Like, so many people, and especially in America, you know, claim agnosticism. Just kind of like middle of the road, like I'm not going to pick a side type of a faith or lack thereof. And it, I don't, when I, when I read the, the, the Ten Commandments and I read Satan's nine creeds, like, man, there's not really a lot of room for, like, middle ground. Like, and so, and, and we don't like to think of things in that, in that way because you know what that does? It makes us guilty. It makes people guilty. You know, I don't want to think about indulging myself as worshiping Satan. That, that, I'd rather just think of it as that's what everybody does. So it's okay. We don't like feeling guilty, and that's human. Okay, that's okay that you, don't, that you don't like to feel that way. I don't like to feel that way. But I, I want to share with you guys, it's not, guilt's not the thing that keeps you from God or from his grace. It's not guilt that's the ob obstacle to grace, as moralism would suppose. On the contrary, it is the repression of guilt, self-justification, genuine self-righteousness, and smugness, which is the obstacle to grace. The world, there's so much suffering in this world, right? And is it not because so many good moral people reassure themselves too easily by telling themselves that suffering on such a grand scale uh, outside of their radius of action, so, you know, genocide and starvation, these things that don't happen here as much, they persuade themselves that they can do nothing. And in this way, flagrant injustices persist through a universal complicity. So, guys, here's the point of that, is that we're made in the image of God, the world's messed up, and we can't blame God. Because we, we've created it. He, he gave us dominion. He's like, I'm going to give the responsibility to you. And look what we've done with it. And we don't. And, and, and some people think that we, don't, that we don't need God, that we don't need his help.
Guys, we, the world's problem is this, it's this sin and this guilt and this shame and this cycle that happens, right? We see it, what, what do Adam and Eve do immediately, right? They, they feel guilty and Adam says, hey, it was, it, was, it was Eve, she did it. Her fault. And Eve's like, no, I mean, the serpent did it. He tricked me. The world's problem is, is, is sin and guilt. We run from our purpose and, and the image of true humanity out of fear and shame. I lost my spot here for a second. Uh, let's, let's go. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 3 through 15. Uh, and we're going to, this, this third point here is image together, okay? It's very hard to bear, to do it well, to bear the image of God. And we need to do it together. And, and we're going to see right off the bat, so we're talking about Cain and Abel and what happens, right? As soon as we put people around other people, what happens? Well, hopefully good things, kindness, relationships happen. But sometimes bad things happen. Okay, so uh, verse uh, 3 says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And I want to stop us right here before we make any assumptions. Because God kind of gets a rap in the Old Testament sometimes for being like maybe unfair, crude, extra brutal, all right? And so like, what? God doesn't like Cain's offering. What's his problem? Okay? But let's, before we make, let's just keep reading. Let's keep reading. And actually, I will say this. The text is written in such a way, even in the original language, basically for you not to know why. And I'm not 100% sure the reason as to why, but it's very difficult to know why God rejects his offering. But let's, let's keep reading, because that's not even the point. That's not the point of this story, which we'll see. Um, verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So here we see God, he, you guys notice what God did here? He, he sees that Cain is angry. He says, hey, he talks like a, like a concerned father to his distressed son. Hey, what, why, why are you angry? What's going on? Talk to me. He doesn't accuse Cain of anything. He, he just calls Cain's attention to be aware of his personal responsibility as an image bearer. He says, look, why are you angry? You realize that sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to have you, but you must rule over it. He's telling you have personal responsibility and accountability. You're angry. You cannot follow. You cannot walk down the path that your anger wants to take you on. So he's, he's given him a warning, and a, a good one, a one that Cain needs. Okay? He's being a good friend. Say, hey, dude, you go down that path, not, it's not going to be good. Okay, let's keep reading verse 8. 
Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me far, driven me today away from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to Cain, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Because once again, God, he doesn't accuse Cain. He says, Cain, where's your brother? To which Cain, obviously his heart is hard. He's obstinate to this question. He said, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, you are. Whenever our hearts become inflamed by a question that comes from a place of concern or a heart of love, that's pride at its absolute finest. Guys, in one of the reasons, one of the ways that I've seen myself do this is a lot of times if I get asked a question, I don't have a specific example, but I know many times that I can remember where someone asked me a question and I was angry. And it's, you know, thinking about it, it was because I made assumptions about their motive. Right? And that's an accusation. If I assume, well, your motives are impure. That's an accusation. Right? That's the same, it's the same thing. An assumption. Very similar to an accusation. Guys, and when, and when we do that, when we, when we give in to the flesh, trying to protect that ego, like, what are you trying to say about me? We can silence the voice of God. And we can even erase, to a degree, his image. When we, fought, when we are led by our flesh, our emotions, and our passions, rather than when we're led by God's word. It's just, man, Cain is just so unmoved at this point in his heart. And here's the thing, too, guys, is, God doesn't curse Cain. If you guys realize, God says, from the ground you are cursed. And that's actually the same thing that God said to Adam right after he ate from the tree. He said, you are cursed from the ground. And what God is doing is he's saying, look, you, I told you not to do this, and so here are the consequences. And so Adam would actually, if he was a decent father, he would have told Cain this. Cain would have known. Cain already knew the consequences. If he, were to, if he were to carry through with this. Guys, and not only that, not only does God not, he just gives him the consequences that he would give anybody else. It's not, it's not personal. But then it is personal. Because he says, I will protect you. Anyone who touches you, I will avenge seven times. Guys, how, how could God do that? He... Cain just killed his brother. 
I thought God was a God of justice. What's the price of a life? The price of a life is another life. But see, here's where we get the picture. God knows. Guess what God knows about that Cain doesn't know about? The cross. He says, I know what I, your, your consequences, I'm going to pay those. I've got, a, I've got a plan to pay for the sins that you've committed. Guys, when, this is that's why I love the theme of knowing God. Because when we just read his word, we can see deeply into the heart of God. We can see his concern, his patience, his loving kindness. We can see his mercy. Even though there's consequences, there's mercy because Cain did not get what he deserved. There's so much mercy. Guys, and when we know God, when we see his heart, that's when we can really start to imitate God. That's when we fall more in love with God and who he is. That's when we can worship him, bring glory to him, and reflect his image. So here are a few ways you guys can reflect the image of God this week. I think, first of all, it's just being real with one another. Okay? All these are going to be with one another because you can't really reflect the image of God all by yourself. I mean, you have the image of God, but you can't reflect it all by yourself. It always is in the context of other people. So being real with one another, being real. You know, I have a hard time sometimes saying what needs to be said to somebody. It's like, kind of like what God did for Cain. He's like, look, I see what you're doing. Here's, here's the consequences. Sometimes I have a hard time saying that to somebody because, well, I'm just, just afraid that, oh, what if I, you know, our relationship could be damaged. A lot of times it's fears based around that. But we can't withhold God's word from each other. We just can't do that. Is, that is an injustice to one another, to withhold God's word. So sometimes... We just need to be real. And that, and that goes both ways. Not just real like, dude, you're messing up. It goes in real, like real, real talk. Dude, you're doing awesome. Yeah. Right? You're, this is great. I think, uh, secondly, being patient. Because we, we just see God's patience. We need to be patient with one another. And, and lastly, to be gracious. God is so gracious to Cain here. And we can imitate that. One thing that God does, part of his graciousness, is that he refuses to accuse. Refuse to accuse. We have to refuse to accuse one another. Okay, the accuser, believe me, he is up all night, all day, accusing you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't need that from each other, but what we do need, we do need someone to watch out for us. We do need someone to ask questions, and we need to be humble to that. But let's refuse to accuse and be gracious to, to one another. I believe that if we can fully grasp what it means to be made in the image of God, that God can change our hearts and use us to truly change the world. Um, with that, I'm going to say just a short prayer, and then I will have uh, Ellen come on up for announcements and contributions. Um, Heavenly Father, God, we are made in your image, God. And, man, I feel like you know, I've, I got like a, a snowflake of a, of a blizzard uh, of an understanding, God, of what that really means, the, what implications that has. 
on our life, God. I pray that this week that you would uh, help us, Lord, strengthen us. We can't do it without, without you and without each other to bear your image, to be a fruitful church, God, to, to spread your word uh, to, the, to the Eau Claire community and to the entire world. Lord, uh, you are our fortress and our help and our hiding place, God. It is in you that we trust. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.